0: Log Talk Radio. Welcome to episode number fifty-six of Thyroid Nation Radio Live Talk Show and Podcast. I'm Dana Bowman, founder of ThyroidNation.com,
1: and I'm Tiffany Milanich of GratefulGarden.biz.
0: Today we are talking with functional medicine chiropractor Dr. Justin Mar- Marcagiani. So excited to chat with him. He is trained in the Kalish method as well as Wilson's temperature syndrome, functional endocrinology and applied kinesiology. Is currently studying with the American Board of Clinical Nutrition, the only doctorate level federally recognized board of nutritionists in the USA and there's so much more that we just like just had to stop it there because <laughs> we're on his bio page and there's just so much ongoing training and more things certified in that I just we just Figured it would just take up the whole show, so we can't wait to talk to him.
1: We can't wait to talk to him. We're just, but a few things first. I'm a little tired this morning. If you've missed any of the Thyroid Nation Radio podcasts, you can easily download and listen to them uh, at your leisure, which is kind of nice. You don't have to catch it live, uh, so you can catch it on YouTube's, Stitcher, YouTube's, look at me, <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to a whole other channel this morning. iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, stay tuned also as we tune turn each show into an article that you can easily listen to and easily reference, which is very cool. I can't can't wait
0: for that. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think that he did this already and I'm excited. So let's just ping him in. Let's get this thyroid
1: nation thriving. You hear me? Good morning. Let's do it.
2: Hey there, it's Doctor J. How are you ladies doing?
0: We are so Dr. good!
2: Yay! I like that. Awesome. In the
0: house. In the house. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mark got is off a patient probably call. easy. Oh, good. Um, so I was just and gonna I, say Mark and actually, isn't. Yeah, sorry. I, so I was just I'm gonna say Mark is easy for here. people to say. So. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Yep, you got it. I just got off a patient call, and it, the, the patient's case history and their thyroid issues that we were just dealing with actually. Has to do exactly with what some of the things I wanted to talk to you ladies about during the show. So I thought it was quite serendipitous, and I look forward to bringing some actual real life clinical application to the show today.
0: Oh, well, thank Ooh, you. Let's do it. We're looking forward. To fresh it. on let's your go mind for it.
2: Yeah. All well, right. Great. But first, so.
0: But wait, wait. Before ahead. we get started, I really want to know. Um, before we jump into that, I don't even think Tiffany knows, and I don't know how many. how how many of our our listeners know but you actually have your own autoimmune or thyroid story yourself would you mind sharing with us
2: yeah so in college I had a lot of fatigue and there was this underlying adrenal issue that we kind of uncovered And, and like a lot of people with thyroid issues there's this connection between the thyroid and the adrenals and you have some patients that are primary thyroid where you just fix the the thyroid and the everything else starts to get better and all those symptoms start to improve, whether it's mood or constipation or depression or energy. And some people, you have to fix the adrenal and the thyroid. And myself, I felt really good fixing my adrenals, but underlying the surface, there was this underlying Hashimoto's. Now, my thyroid hormones still looked good, but there was these underlying elevations in TPO and thyroglobulin antibodies that... I had to really get on an autoimmune diet. I had to fix infections to help lessen those antibodies and really up certain micronutrients to keep those antibodies in check. And I find a lot of people, they have this sleeping dragging of Hashimoto's and if their diet and their stress and their sleep and their blood sugar isn't in check, then they can really be exacerbating that and attacking that thyroid. And over time, if I didn't do something about it, once I got into my forties and fifties, I'd probably be dealing with a full on you know, thyroid failure and probably half that beyond thyroid hormone for life. So I was able to abate that and catch it ahead of time. And that's kind of what functional medicine is. If we have an issue, great, let's treat it from the root cause. But if we can do testing to to pick it up before it's an issue and fix it ahead of time and prevent it, that's kind of the highest good.
1: Absolutely. So for the listeners, uh, Dr. J, will you do me a favor and explain the difference? Because I think that's something that most people don't uh, hear about a lot is the difference between a primary thyroid and a secondary thyroid issue.
2: Got it. that
1: sounds simple, but there's there's other things that are more common for a physician that they see as far as primary and secondary. So, can you just just for the listeners give a, a quick rundown because that's interesting that you said
2: it that way. Great, great question. So, when I look at thyroid issues, I look at things from like a domino perspective. So, if you look at the the thyroid hormone cascade, you have the pituitary and the hypothalamus, kind of the brain region. And that talks and screams down to the thyroid to make hormones. So the first domino is that is the, is the brain-thyroid to thyroid connection. That's the first domino. The second domino is the thyroid conversion domino, and that can be affected by a handful of things. It can be affected by nutrients. It can be affected by stress hormones like adrenals and cortisol. It can be affected by gut infections. It can be affected by liver issues and gut bacteria issues. That's kind of the second domino. And then we also have the underlying autoimmunity that sits there that can literally attack the thyroid gland and also create more inflammation. So when we say primary, we're really talking about that first domino, which is the the, um, pituitary, that elevation in TSH, where the TSH has to start yelling louder and louder to the thyroid because the thyroid is not able to keep up with the demands. Of making that hormone so that's primary and then secondary typically has to do with conversion issues your um, TSH may be adequate you know in the lab core range of 5.5 or below but we know it's typically more sensitive than that Alan Christensen says around one most people say both beneath 2.5 so let's say our TSH is fine then we look at the conversion side of the fence how are we doing are we making enough T4 still or are we converting T4 to T3 And or are we converting it to a whole bunch of reverse T3 maybe because of adrenal issues? So we look at the multifactorial effects of secondary issues, which can be conversion, it can be gut, it can be adrenal stress and liver stress and or autoimmune affecting all parts of that.
0: Well, it just feels good to have somebody like you out there. I just have to jump in and say that because I'm thinking as you're talking, wow, if I could have done what you did and stopped a lot of the things now in hindsight – I'd be in a lot better shape. And so, you know, for our kids and for future generations, there's going to be people out there like you helping. So that makes me feel pretty happy. Thanks so much.
1: (laughs) Okay, so back to your your case study and your talk this morning. (laughs) Thank you.
2: Awesome. So we had a patient come into the clinic, and this patient had a lot of low thyroid symptoms. Now, we ran some adrenal tests, and we saw very low cortisol and very low DHEA which are hallmarks of adrenal dysfunction. So one of the first things I like to do is I always like to treat adrenals first or at least side-by-side thyroid issues if we know they're there. Now, after the first month of treating this person's adrenals, a lot of their thyroid symptoms, you know, cold hand, cold feet, constipation, dry skin, they still weren't getting better. And we just retested his thyroid this last month, for the fir- actually tested it for the first time. His TSH was above 15 Very, very high TSH, and his T4 and T3 was in the tank. So didn't have, you know, T4 free was below 0.8. His T4 total was around the low 4s. His T3s were below 70 for the total, um, below 2.2 for the T3 free. And there were no antibodies elevated. So we had this underlying very, very low thyroid. We call that primary hypothyroid because the TSH was elevated. But then we also did some stool testing, and we found – lots and lots of gut inflammation. We had this marker called lactoferrin and calprotectin were very, very elevated in the gut, which is a sign of inflammation. We saw his IgA, which is his local immune system in the gut, was very, very low, barely detectable, which makes me think a chronic infection is there. And we also saw very low enzyme levels, which typically make me think low hydrochloric acid. And if you read Isabella Wentz's book, she talks about how HCL was a major, major tool to help heal her thyroid because most people with low thyroid have difficult times digesting proteins and fats. So we're still in the the middle of treating this person, but the whole moral of that story was there was a thyroid issue, but there was also underlying gut issues and more than likely an infection. I see H. pylori tend to drive that frequently. We're doing more testing to get our arms around that. But again, there's this underlying gut inflammation infection issue that tends to sit even beneath these primary thyroid issues and adrenal issues
1: that's a that's a mouthful right there <laughs> you know everybody's yes, it probably is. going and
0: me 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 well oh, that's definitely me i mean uh, all the things you were saying you know and um and i was watching uh one of your i don't know if it was your podcast or mike mutzel's podcast one of them I was watching earlier today and um, laughing because y'all had so much information, and y'all were going back and forth so fast, and we have what we call flower field moments on the show, like just now, a few, a few seconds ago, where we just kind of need to sit and like absorb the information because it's like such great information and kind of overwhelming. It's just like a re- you know reflection moment, and when I was watching your show earlier or listening to you guys earlier, I was thinking... My God, like, oh, there's no time. There's no time you know, just there was so much information. It was fantastic.
2: <laughs> yeah Great. I think I think the key thing to kind of just like it's always good to like, all right, what's the, the reader's digest version? The reader's digest version is if you have low thyroid symptoms, right cold hands, cold feet, constipation, dry hair, uh, mood, energy issues, look at the adrenals, look at the gut, because it's probably not just your thyroid breaking down in isolation. Um, I was always taught that you have the right or you have, you know, everyone has the right to have more than one problem happening at the same time. So if you have what you consider to be a thyroid issue and you think it's a thyroid issue, there's probably a couple other people at the party that are responsible for that issue. So just look in those other areas, right? Look at the the adrenals, look at the female hormones, and then also look at the gut and the infections and make sure you cross those off your list before you, you know, before you create that comprehensive plan to get better.
1: Hmm, the plan. (laughs) There's a plan. So as a physician, tell us, you know, I don't want to say protocol, but as a general rule, when you see somebody that, you know, everyone says my thyroid function was fine, but I have all of these thyroid symptoms. As a clinician, of course, you've got a bunch of testing that you go through, but do you heal the gut and do all those things and then see if the thyroid goes or is it a you know do everything at one time can you tell us what dr j's protocol is for you know kind of ruling things out and then
2: your your protocol for healing great question so number one we want to know do we have a subclinical thyroid issue where maybe it's a conversion issue one of these secondary problems or is it a primary issue where that tsh is very high if it's very if it's very high, we kind of have this med-legal thing going on. Well, we have to get that TSH down, one, because, you know, it's what we have to do for the patient so they start feeling better, but, two, to also protect the doctor from, you know, do no harm. So we have to really get that TSH down. So we'll make sure we drop that TSH down as fast as possible just from a med-legal perspective. That's number one, right? Number two, depending on how out of balance the person's thyroid is, will help us know whether we have to give thyroid support. If we are, we're always trying to give a full-spectrum glandular that's going to have T4 and T3 in it. That's number one, giving the extra nutrients to help that convert properly, number two, and then also the foundation piece has to be adhered. So the first thing, really, while all this is going on, an autoimmune diet is going to be essential, where we're focusing on healthy fats, healthy organic proteins, Carbohydrates that are glycemically controlled, primarily vegetables and maybe some low-sugar fruit, and really being careful with the starch and, and making sure we're timing our meals every four to five hours because glycemic control is very, very important with autoimmune and thyroid conditions. The more we keep our blood sugar stable by throwing logs on the fire, right? And these metaphorical logs are like proteins and fats, and the carbs are like paper. The more refined the carbs, they have, the more refined carbs you eat. That's like gasoline. So we want a little bit of paper, primarily non-starchy vegetables, broccoli, asparagus, things like that, cooked, obviously, is better. And then having good fats and proteins, that's going to put logs on our fire, eating every four to five hours and keeping that autoimmune aspect going where we're cutting out the grains, the legumes, even the dairy, the nuts, the seeds, the nightshades, and the eggs to start at least. That's our foundational piece. And depending on how bad the thyroid is, if it's the pituitary is really – High, we'll have to get them on some kind of thyroid support to bring that down initially, before we really come on with our comprehensive program.
1: Hmm. So let's let's just do a let's do a like someone that runs in that you know three and a half.
2: <laughs> yeah. And
1: you know cortisol looks a little bit high. You know these people feel like they're dying. You know, um, so it's not just and they might have some antibodies. I mean, Dana and I, our, our favorite thing to do is ask people you know, when we interview guests where their TSH was and where their antibodies were. And it's so fascinating because we can interview people that, you know, the TSH was 30 and the antibodies were 3,000. And they're like, I just, it got picked up on an annual physical. I didn't even know there was a problem. And then we see people (laughs) or talk to people that can be like, you know, three, three and a half right in there. And, you know, antibodies 400, 450, and they felt like they were going to just croak tomorrow, you know. So that's always so interesting. So let's take patient x that has you know they come in three and a half you know lots of stress in their life but nothing's really crazy you know cortisol is a little bit high you know dhea is a little bit low just kind of in that eh category what what does dr j do for that patient x
2: great question so number one right we want to look at the thyroid conversion we want to look at t4 we want to look at t3 Because let's say we're at 3, 3 3.5, we definitely know that's kind of in that gray area like you mentioned. The American Clinical Board of Endocrinologists says anything over 2.5 is kind of like, you know, red flags or, you know, start looking at this very more carefully. So we want to look at that T4 to T3 conversion. Is the T3 total beneath 100? Is the T3 free beneath 3.0? And I'm using standard lab core metrics. If we see that, then that starts to become a concern. And if we have adrenal issues, I want to hold up the adrenals side by side. Do we have a high cortisol situation or a low cortisol? Is the DHEA in the tank? So depending on those two things there, what happens, I typically would start supporting with the adrenals off the bat. We would support and get the adrenals going off the bat first. And then I like to monitor, once we have thyroid numbers, we can start using some temperature testing, whether it's axillary or mouth, and see if we get those temps in that 97 to 98.2 range um, armpit-wise or 98.2 to 98.6 via the mouth, because sometimes we'll see these temperatures start to uh, get better, which can be a really good sign of the thyroid starting to normalize without even going after the thyroid directly. So it really depends, but if, if T3-free, and total is very low, we would probably start something at the same time, adrenal and thyroid together. If the T3 and free are kind of questionable or borderline, we probably just start with the adrenals first and then keep a very close eye on the thyroid the next month and see if a lot of the prime symptoms and temperature starts to improve.
1: Awesome. And that, that leads us into a great area of expertise for you, the role of cortisol and thyroid function. So let's talk about supporting the adrenals, because I think there's so many people that fall into this category.
2: I totally agree. So when we look at cortisol issues, if cortisol goes too high, it can block thyroid conversion, that T4 to T3. And then what it can also do is it can increase that reverse T3 as well, and it can also increase the TSH, so if we see high cortisol, that could be a, a, you know, a factor of decreasing thyroid conversion. It can increase reverse T3, which I talked about before, like blank bullets, right, blanks in that magazine for your gun. So when you pull the trigger on the gun, a bullet comes out. But when you pull the trigger on a gun with just blanks in it, you just hear noise and nothing comes out. And that's kind of what reverse T3 is. It sits in that receptor site for T3. So when the T3 comes around, it can't get in there and have a metabolic effect. And so does, you know, the inflammation, the antibodies have the same kind of blocking effect. They block and they decrease the T3, the active T3, from getting into the receptor site. So cortisol can, one, it can increase TSH. High cortisol can block that thyroid conversion. And then it can also, um, the inflammation from the autoimmunity, if present, can also block the receptor sites. And so can the reverse t 3 And if we have adrenal function that's too low, we need some cortisol to help activate that thyroid hormone. All right, we need some cortisol to activate that thyroid hormone and help that T4 to T3 conversion process go along. So if we're too low on the cortisol, that can also help, um, that can also inhibit that thyroid. And then not to mention, many people have talked about, you know, adding in like Cortap or adrenal glandulars, that can really help decrease some of their thyroid symptoms because those thyroid and adrenal symptoms have a really strong overlap right? Fatigue is a strong overlap. Um, energy issues, mood, anxiety, depression, a lot of those mood things are going to be, you know, chronic overlaps between thyroid and adrenals. And then also the last piece is, um, the last piece of the of the puzzle is that if we just give underlying or just give main thyroid support, like let's say a thyroid hormone, but you have very low cortisol, that thyroid hormone can actually lower cortisol levels. That's why if you look at Let's say someone with uh, adrenal failure, like in Addison's disease, it's contraindicated to give thyroid hormone during Addison's disease because it can lower the cortisol even more. So, you have some people that aren't in adrenal failure, obviously, they more have that lower cortisol level. Giving more thyroid hormone can actually exacerbate and make that cortisol go even lower. So that's why it's so important that we support the adrenals and thyroid side by side, especially if they're both equally low.
0: And just just for the listeners, would you give us, um, you know, some ideas of how you do um, manage and and help with that? Because that sounds exactly like me. And here I am in Costa Rica, and there's no functional (laughs) medicine, chiropractor, doctor in sight. So I want to get your two cents on that.
2: Great question. So off the bat, we always go to the low-hanging fruit, and that's going to be diet and blood sugar. So the first thing you can do is, if we know our adrenals are our stress and inflammation handling glands, well, they'll stop putting inflammatory, toxic foods in our body. Number one, so cut out the pesticides, cut out the gluten, and not just the gluten, also the grains. Cut out the inflammatory foods, and uh, you know, cut out all the gut irritants, the lectins, uh, the beans, all those things. First, go on an autoimmune paleo type of diet, and remember. The longer we go between meals, the more our blood sugar can go up and down. And the more our blood sugar drops, that causes a stress response in our body, and our adrenals have to pick up that blood sugar with adrenaline and cortisol. So if you can just get your blood sugar more dialed in, eating every four to five hours is a great adrenal support. I know Dr. Karazian has always said those blood sugar swings increase this um, stress um, immune marker called interleukin-6 which is, is a stressor on the immune system. And that if you have autoimmunity, that can make the autoimmunity worse. So eating every four to five hours and eating healthy proteins and fats with the right kinds of carbohydrates, you know, for your diet, typically lower glycemic and ideally vegetable-based carbs are going to be the way to go. And eating in that first 30 minutes to an hour of getting up is going to be essential because that sets the blood sugar table for the whole day. So I would say off the bat, just getting the food, and getting the timing in. And then the next piece after that will be adding in some of the fancy supplements, which could be glandular tissue. It could be uh, things like vitamin C and pentaphenic acid like B5. It could be adding in precursor support like pregnenolone or DHEA, and or DHEA. And it can also be adding in adaptogenic herbs like ashwagandha, that can be very helpful. Same with um, eleuthero or rhodiola or ginseng or many other different adaptogens um, that can be very helpful. But you want to make sure you're getting specific testing done so you can fine-tune it and make sure it's specific and make sure you're getting enough of a, a therapeutic dose so it actually makes a difference.
1: So and I've got really a real key. quick question. Oh, sorry,
0: go ahead. Go ahead, Dana. I was just going to say, that's really key. And I'm, I I want to mention that you uh, just said that because, you know, a lot of people don't follow up with the testing, and it really is so important and I can put myself in that category. It is very difficult living here as far as testing goes, but it's very important to fine-tune, like you said. It is, and a
2: lot of people, I've seen many, many people come into my office that have seen some of, you know, we you know I would say functional or thyroid doctors that kind of have famous names, and you would be shocked at how many of them don't have their diet, lifestyle, and blood sugar dialed in. And I'm just like, man, like you're fighting an uphill battle because, you know, you it's like, You could only do so much if the foundation isn't there. So you want to build a house, you need a really strong foundation. I look at the functional medicine program as as what's above ground, and what's below ground is the foundation. And to to build a tall building, you really have to have a deep foundation. So the diet and lifestyle piece really needs to get dialed in. And most people, most even good doctors, uh, miss that, or they take it for granted with their patients and don't really follow up on it.
0: That's so true, yeah. isn't it, Tess?
1: Oh, absolutely. I have a, a a question as far as a practitioner goes, Dr. J. What percentage do you see in your practice where the adrenal glands are playing a huge role in people's thyroid issues?
2: I would say 75 to 80 percent. Wow. Meaning we have the lab work coming in for the thyroid. We have the lab work coming in for the adrenals. We have this symptom profile, which could be the mood, the constipation, the dry hair, the dry skin, maybe the elevated cholesterol, all these things. And I'd say 75 to 80%, their symptoms really just start getting better even without thyroid support off the bat. Now, the more the thyroid hormone is out of balance, you know, as that T3 free dips below three, as the T3 total goes below 100, the farther away from that mean, the more important thyroid hormone will play a role into that person's healing. But if you're borderline, sometimes you can get away with just the adrenals as long as you're fixing the gut and the other nutrients that are out of balance. But if we have autoimmunity and there's a significant amount of destruction to the gland, we're going to need some thyroid support. If that thyroid hormone is really out of balance and that conversion's off, they're probably going to need a little bit of thyroid support for a period of time until we get things kind of stabilized first.
1: So for all of these folks and all of these listeners, and and Dana and I see it all the time, and I have a tendency to ask like 10 questions in one, so I'm trying to separate this out a little bit better. So many times you hear, I don't feel well, and they're fighting, fighting, fighting with their mainstream doc to add more thyroid medication. When they do, they feel poorly again. You know, it's just like this constant state of, of feeling poorly, even with adjustments in thyroid medication, and they're refusing to look at the adrenals so in mainstream medicine you know the the constant advice in the thyroid forums and and of course you're a practitioner so you're in a whole different ballgame but what dana and i see a lot of is get your cortisol levels tested and a lot of these people will run just a little bit high you know but the doc won't test the dhea because there's not right. enough of a of a, a so you, you go you hear where i'm going with this right so then yes. they run down to the health food store and they grab DHEA, the they break out like crazy, they have all these problems and they're like, Okay, so it can't be my my adrenal glands, right? What advice from a functional medicine perspective would you give those people? Uh when well, I know it would be go see a functional practitioner, but other than that, <laughs> you know um you know what I mean? Because you know, half of these people have cupboards and cupboards and cupboards full of supplements that they're like You know, it's terrible. It's so sad to see these desperate people. What advice would you give
2: them? So number one, anytime you're dealing with hormones, you really want to see a specialist with that because hormones, they can't be treated like vitamin C or magnesium because they have effects where if you give too much hormone, they can downregulate receptors and create an effect of actually having low amounts of the hormone, right, i.e. having blood sugar and insulin resistance, same kind of thing right? Too much sugar causes that down regulation. And then also um, liver issues because hormones put stress on the liver and some people, well, I say a lot of people have liver issues and we know how important the liver is at converting 60% of that T4 to T3. So if you're using hormones, you really want to see someone who knows what they're doing and is using specific lab testing. And typically less is more when it comes to hormones. Like when I use DHEA on my female patients, I'm spreading out three times a day, a very, very small sublingual dose at maybe five to seven milligrams spread out over the whole day divided by three. You go into your health food store, you can't get DHEA below 25 milligram capsules, which is way, way high. And again, if you take it orally, it has to go to, through the hepatic portal veins of the liver. So if your liver is already congested a bit, that may put more stress on the liver. So number one, don't treat hormones like supplements. High amounts of hormones can actually create more low symptoms. At number two, less is more. And I t- tend to always go sublingual when it comes to some of these precursors because we have a better chance of bypassing the liver and having that go into the bloodstream directly. And we can also take it, you know, gradually over the day and kind of mimic normal physiology versus kind of giving a whole bolus of it at once. So that'd be the first thing I would suggest off the bat.
1: Awesome. And just to kind of backpedal a little bit, and you've, you've hit on this so many times, but I think so many people don't realize how much they're eating, or even more importantly, not eating, which is something that, you know, we hear all the time, you know, because they're holding on to weight, they're hypothyroid, so they don't eat all day long, right? And then the blood sugar crashes, they eat too much, the cortisol kicks in. So tell us, how much is it possible to control just minute cortisol issues with diet?
2: Absolutely. Most people, <laughs> I've always said this. I think Sarah Godfrey said it in her book. I know Dr. Kayla, she's mentioned it multiple times. One of the biggest stressors on your hormone, on your hormonal system is blood sugar swings. And it's the thing that you have the most control over, right? Because you control it right. three to four times a day with healthy We need one of those
1: uh, buttons right there. We need one yeah, of those we do. buttons yes. that's right there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. So I think anyone listening to this podcast, they can walk away with one to two things is don't just cut gluten out of your diet. Cut all grains out of your diet and, and dairy. That's number one. And then number two, eat four to five hours and have breakfast in that first 30 to 40 minutes and have a good combination of protein, fat, and carbs and get snacks out of your mind. Because when I hear snacks, I hear, oh, I'm going to eat an excessive amount of carbohydrate by itself without any protein and fat, which will set you up for blood sugar swings. So if you need a snack, replace the word snack with mini-meal mini meal, it insinuates balance. It insinuates having the right macronutrients together. Snack, I think, oh, I'm going to just have some carbs by itself, which may perpetuate mm, more blood sugar swings point. throughout the day. Oh,
0: I love right. that. I mini crackers. meal. I
2: grabbed oh, mini meal.
0: <laughs>
1: People are like, I grabbed some crackers or I ate. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, no, that, that's not the job. I love that mini meal.
2: That's perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's so important. I see so many patients. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, grab a handful of berries. I think that's good. It's better than, like, crackers or better than, like, a candy bar. But, you know, maybe have a handful of berries and maybe a bite of that tuna fish from lunch and maybe uh, a scoop of coconut oil.
1: Well, and I love it when people say, but I had a protein bar. You're like, let me look at the protein bar. <laughs> Those right. You just well, soy bad, protein sometimes kind having crackers.
2: Yeah, Exactly. <laughs>
1: So explain to the folks that are like God, but I, Dr. J, I, I need to lose weight. I've got to lose weight. You know, I'm I'm heavy. This is part of me being depressed and unhappy, and I can't lose weight. And explain to them what happens when they don't eat enough, and what the adrenal glands have to do to keep them still at their job and still running errands and all
2: these other things. Okay, so number that is one, so important. People, listen up. Yes. Listen to this. This is important. So when you deal, yeah. So when you're having these issues, right? We have to get our priorities straight. That's number one. Now, when we deal with weight issues, you don't lose weight and then get your thyroid healthy. You get healthy, and then you start losing weight. So that's a famous quote by an endocrinologist out of UC Santa Barbara, Diana Schwarzbein. And she wrote the book, The Schwarzbein Principle, and that's her quote, is you don't get healthy you don't lose weight by getting you don't lose weight and then get healthy you get healthy first and then the weight comes off. So we got to make sure we have the cause and effect in alignment, right? The cause is get healthy, get the thyroid, get the underlying body systems in order, the effect is the weight loss. People want the effect without addressing the cause. So first that's the first thing. We know there's a lot of studies on low calorie diets and increase and in reverse T3. That's that hormone that actually blocks the thyroid from doing its job. And we know that people that eat low-calorie diets um, make less thyroid hormone altogether, because you're telling Ooh, your body.
1: Say that again. We're in say this. That yeah, again. yeah, one more so time. When, one more time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so when you go low-calorie, when you go low-calorie, you're telling your body you're going to make less thyroid hormone altogether. And we know that because there's many, many studies. Just go in, type in T3, or if you want the technical term, put triiodothyronine and low-calorie diet. And you'll see when your when your diet calories start going into the low thousands, you're going to start making less thyroid hormone. And when I do these diet logs on my patients, I ask them. I said, "So, you know, what's this new diet you're doing here? It seems like you're doing the Auschwitz diet." And they look at me and they're like, oh, "What?" God. I you said, you, "You remember that concentration camp over in the, over in uh, in Europe in World War II?" Like, yeah, yeah. Well, they were feeding their prisoners right around thousand to twelve hundred calories a day. That's how many you're doing on your diet log. And they look at me and they go, whoa. And then I say, just go on Google right now, punch this in, and punch in, wow. you know, the T3 and low thyroid. And they say, wow, that could be affecting my thyroid. I'm like, yeah, bingo.
1: And yet, 1,200 is such a number you hear. Oh, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm consuming 1,200 calories. You're like, wow, that's like nothing, you know.
0: Exactly. Yeah, you're active so, or, or have movement mm-hmm. like you should every day.
2: Yeah, I mean, most women, like, let's say you take your average. Five foot five, 140 pound female. They should be doing at least 18 to 2,000 calories a day, depending on stress and also depending on movement. You start doing more CrossFit or more resistance training, you may have to go up a little more on the calories.
1: Gosh, you know what? What's crazy, Dr. J, is it's so logical, but there's so many people that don't understand their diet's effect on stress. So. Tell people what happens when they don't eat. What do the adrenal glands have to do?
2: Great question. So I wanna, I'm going to piggyback to that question. So number one, we just talked about calories. That's number one. I, I don't like calories, but calories are, are a good marker. All calories are, it's basically a unit of heat. It's how much, how much uh, energy has to go into something to heat this, this uh, one gram of water, one degree Celsius. That's what a calorie is. It's really a measurement of heat. Now, all calories, if we're eating an autoimmune, nutrient-dense type of paleo template, are going to have nutrients in it. So when we talk about calories, we're really attaching nutrients and vitamins and minerals and all that stuff to it. The problem is in this day and age, we can eat a lot of calories and virtually have no nutrients in it. So when we talk about calories, we're really connecting the dots and saying – we need nutrition. It's our body runs off of nutrition and all nutrients have calories. That's number one. And when we go low calorie, what's going to happen is our adrenals are hardwired to sense and deal with stress. And when our calories go low, our body's thinking evolutionarily, hey, this is a famine. We have to get really, really good at converting what comes in as fat. Because again, when you store calories as fat, you get eight to nine calories per gram versus four grams of protein or carbohydrate. So we want to get really efficient at storing and not burning. And because our thyroid gland is like the furnace, it's the burner. So think about it, right? If, you, if your husband gets mad at you and says, hey, honey, you know, you had the heat up really hot this last month. Our heating bill was huge. Well, imagine the thermostat is like your thyroid. Now, for your goal to save money, you're going to turn down that thermostat. But what also happens in that house is you get colder, and getting colder to your thyroid and your body equals again low temps, but also low mood, constipation, fatigue, mood issues. So think of you know the whole low calorie thing is you're telling your body and your natural thermostat to, to go down because it needs to do it needs to do a lot with less calories.
1: Hmm. So I we love give that more analogy. calories
2: if we give more calories, we're saying more than enough. Don't worry about the heating bill this month, honey. Crank up that heat so you feel good. And that allows our thyroid to go higher and then feel good, have regular bowel movements, better energy, nice warm toes and, 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 uh, and feet and such, and then also better mood and less brain fog.
1: Hmm. You know what? If you, if you don't mind, but we rarely get the opportunity to talk to someone who can really delve into Wilson's Temperature Syndrome, and I know that is part of, of your expertise. Can you explain what that is and when that would apply for some people? You know, when that may be, a, yeah. a, you know, a part of the problem.
2: Yeah, most people that, that have this low T3 type of phenomenon here, and again, it, it's all Wilson or Dennis Wilson. I think it's, I think it's Dennis Wilson's his name. This James Wilson's the adrenal guy. Dennis Wilson's the thyroid guy. And he talks about using thyroid temperature as a means of detecting and looking at low T3. So, you know, below that 97.8 for the axillary below 98.2 for the oral. And then what he's doing is he's using time-release T3 to kind of clear out the T3 receptor sites in this fashion of increasing it over a period of a a few weeks and then decreasing it because he's trying to clear out the receptor sites because he's seeing there's an underlying conversion issue. And I think that's helpful, but I think if we use the functional medicine principles, we talked about looking at the gut, looking at the liver, looking at the adrenals, and looking at underlying Absorption things. There, there is more to just the, just using the T3 as a means to clear out the receptor site. And I think if we use some of the T3 and some of the thyroid support that has T3 in it, and use some of those Wilson temperature principles along with the other functional medicine principles, I think we really have a winning team.
1: Hmm. That's that is, that's perfect.
2: Because <laughs> other people we come need in, everybody right? to. <laughs>
1: We need everybody so we'll to see people to a come a functional in. doc, <laughs> truly.
2: Yes, yes. I, I apologize for interrupting. There's like a, a one to two second lag on my end here. But we'll see people come in with gut issues and then we'll run like your, your basic CBC iron panel and because of the gut malabsorption issue, we'll see low B12 and low iron and we need those nutrients to make thyroid hormones. So at the same time, let's say we have this T3 conversion issue and we're given some T3, but... Let's say the issue is more upstream and it has to do with the gut and some of these anemias, T3 and, uh, or B vitamin anemia, whether it's folate or B12 and or iron. We want to treat the underlying issue so our body can make thyroid hormone better and not just give T3. So we really want the complete picture because there can be other upstream issues that are driving that downstream problem. And we want to make sure we're not just treating it with a downstream solution. We want to make sure we have an upstream solution as well.
1: Mm. So if you don't mind, I know we're bouncing all over the place, but tell us a little bit more how anemia plays a role into the ballgame and, and how that's really diagnosed for uh, a functional practitioner.
2: Great question. So number one, there's two kinds of anemias. To keep it simple, we have B vitamin-based anemia, typically evolves around B12 and or folate or B9 and B6, all right, which is which is uh, pyridoxine 5-phosphate. And then we have our iron-based anemia, which is which is our iron, which is uh, needed to attach to the hemoglobin to carry oxygen. So iron's important because it's actually a building block to make thyroid hormone in the body. So we need iron from a building block perspective, but we also need iron to help carry around oxygen so we can get to our tissues, okay? And we also need B vitamins to help mature and make healthy red blood cells. So if we have immature red blood cells, they're not going to be able to carry oxygen and nutrition well. If we have low iron, we're not going to be able to carry oxygen well. And if we have um, low iron, we're not going to be able to make adequate thyroid hormone. So we have these couple of different kinds of anemia, and we can see it, one, the B vitamin-based anemia on a um, a, a, a CBC panel. We may see low RBC, low low hemoglobin, and low hematocrit. And then when we look at the other part of the blood panel, we may see elevations in MCV, MCH, or MCV, which are signs of the red blood cell getting bigger, which means B vitamin issues. And then if we run an iron panel, we may see very low ferritin, let's say beneath 20. We may see iron saturation beneath 20 as well. And then we may see increases in UIBC and TIBC, which are these binding proteins that go high because they're trying to grab more iron. So they actually go high when iron goes low. So recap, right? We see the MCV, MCH, MCHC when the B vitamins start becoming low, and then we see the iron stuff start going low as well, the ferritin and the iron saturation, and then we see the TIBC and the UIBC go high. So that kind of gives you a good baseline uh, with, the, with the different anemias. And all of them, they tend to happen because of absorption issues whether it's low stomach acid or an infection like H. pylori causing leaky gut malabsorption. It can also be caused by vegetarian-based diets, number two. And then number three, we see a lot of iron issues caused by excessive menstruation. So if you're a female that's that's menstruating, bleeding more than three to four days and going through more than four tampons per day is a good chance you're driving anemia just by your menstruation issues which, again, we have to fix the underlying female hormone and adrenal issues to really get that menstruation under control.
1: Hmm. Now tell us a little bit more about malabsorption from a functional medicine practitioner. I know mainstream medicine, your gastroenterologist is like, if you don't have diarrhea, you don't have malabsorption. Right.
2: Right. That's
1: their golden rule. So people go in there and they're like, you know, I'm low in all of these nutrients and they go to a gastroenterologist and they're like, yeah, no, there's not a malabsorption syndrome here. Tell us more about how a functional medicine practitioner views malabsorption.
2: So when you look at your gut, right, the first domino that gets knocked down is creating an adequate hydrochloric acid in the stomach. What hydrochloric acid does, it lowers the pH, it creates a very inhospitable environment for bacteria and H. pylori to grow, And then it activates these proteolytic enzymes called pepsin, which starts the domino of digestion, of protein digestion. And if you read uh, Isabella Wentz's book, Thyroid, the Recause, she talks about HCL being a major, major, major player in helping her thyroid get better. So HCL is really important. That's the first domino that gets knocked over. And now part of the whole entire environment that needs to be there neurologically, we need to be in this healthy parasympathetic nervous system state which is where we're more relaxed, our heart isn't racing, we're not really stressed, we need that nice parasympathetic, which is like the rest and digest, versus the sympathetic is the go, 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 the fight or flight states. we got to be in that parasympathetic rest and digest because that helps activate the hydrochloric acid. That helps us activate our enzymes better. Now, once that HCL is nice and high, that lowers our pH, and then when our food goes from our stomach to our small intestine, That creates some hormonal cascades that increase something called CCK, which stimulates our gallbladder to produce bile, which helps us break down fat. And it also stimulates our pancreas to produce a whole bunch of enzymes called lipase and trypsin and chymotrypsin, which help us break down protein. So Reader's Digest version, we need good, healthy (laughs) hydrochloric acid levels to break down protein in the stomach. That knocks over domino two, which helps our gallbladder and our pancreas make things to break down protein and fat even better. And if we don't have those first dominoes down, it's going to be really hard to break down a lot of those minerals like selenium, which is so important for thyroid hormone conversion and lowering thyroid antibodies. It's important for ionizing and breaking down iron, calcium, magnesium, zinc, copper. So if we don't have that good hydrochloric acid, we won't have the good enzymes. We won't have the good bile salts. And we won't break down all of those nutrients that are required for healthy thyroid conversion.
0: Hmm. I don't think anybody has ever explained that this way they on haven't. our That's show yet.
2: I'm... No,
0: it's fantastic.
2: And most so people, people can... here's the X factor, right? This is where it comes in. An infection can be a driving factor because H. pylori actually has an effect of neutralizing stomach acid. It does it because it makes this special enzyme that takes protein and it creates this compound called ammonia, which raises the pH. So then it makes it harder to ionize those minerals, like I mentioned, especially that important selenium and zinc one. And then it makes it very difficult to start breaking down the protein, which is so important because tyrosine is protein. And the T in T4 and T3 stands for tyrosine. Hmm. And the number okay, so we're going to we're going to go a little molecules.
1: Susie we're going to go a little Susie Cohen here. So people are like, <laughs> I don't have a thyroid problem, but I have all this massive heartburn, and when I take the amiprazole or whatever, it helps a little bit. Inevitably, you have to back up and look at the thyroid. Is that a, is that a fairly? Would you call that a true or a false statement,
2: or conversion of? Yeah, I would say you would look at the thyroid from the state of that collateral damage from that digestive issue may have affected the thyroid. So if you have thyroid symptoms or you you should run a test to see if there's any thyroid collateral damage, but you would look at the root cause would be looking at the underlying foods that are going in there that are creating stress, like gluten, and Mm -hmm. then you'd also make sure that stress is, is, is curtailed so we're in that parasympathetic state, right? Dr. Karaji, and I think you had him on last week, he probably talked about stimulating that vagus nerve, and he does it through palate stimulation and singing and gargling. We also do it through just keeping a really healthy environment when we eat so we're not in that stressed-out state because that's a really important state to stimulate HCL. And if we can do that, we can break down that protein and fat better, and it won't sit there and rot because basically what happens with the high acid feeling, it's the food's rotting, and the rotting of the food prevents the esophagus from closing, and all that acid rises up and burns that top part of the stomach and the bottom part of the esophageal sphincter. And that's that burning. And it gets better with the omniprozole or the Prilosec or the Prevacid or all these different acid blockers, but it doesn't fix the root cause. That's the key issue.
1: Hmm. And Susie Cohen talks a lot about the fact that it's not always that there's too much acid, you know, so it's sort of a, You know, it's a double-edged, it's a slippery slope.
2: (laughs) It's it's pretty much too too little stomach acid. It's just tough for people to wrap their heads around it because it feels better with the proton pump inhibitor drug. But when you understand what's happening, it's really not enough acid. And we see it a lot because we'll give people like a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar or maybe a little bit of betaine, HCL, and that actually starts to get the gut better. And when it doesn't get the gut better, it's typically because the gut lining is so thin that even a, anything that's a little bit abrasive can irritate it. So we have to get to the root cause of fixing why it's so thin. And almost always there's a H. pylori infection borrowed in there, creating more inflammation as well.
1: Mm, so interesting. It's so backwards
0: how we've been trained to think that, you know, when we have stomach acid or reflux or whatever, too, we need to be taking these things and, it's reducing what we already have, what's already low. It's just, it's, it's very frustrating. And, it, and you can understand why people are confused.
2: Oh, big time. And I would say if you're on a acid blocking medication long term, you're really setting yourself up if you have that genetic predisposition to have a thyroid condition because it's going to affect protein malabsorption. It's going to create dysbiosis. And if we have dysbiosis, 20% of our thyroid hormones activated through healthy gut bacteria, and then all of the nutrients that are needed to be broken down are going to be impaired because you need hydrochloric acid to ionize those minerals that allow those minerals to go into the bloodstream and actually be utilized by the tissue.
1: Hmm. You know, when you hear, every time, Dana and I always say, every time we talk to a functional medicine practitioner, you know, in, in Western medicine, you know, it's TSH, T4, here's a pill. <laughs> You know I mean? And you look at it and we just hear all of these things that can be underlying the thyroid that have to be either, you know, like you said, addressed you know, beforehand or, you know, um, at the same time. And you see all these women and men that are online going, I feel like I'm dying and I, you know, my thyroid pill didn't fix it and it just, everyone needs to see a functional practitioner. I mean, there's just such a bigger picture.
2: And also, I think a lot of that has to do with just the fact that most most doctors, they're just prescribing Synthroid. I mean, let's say that you were just prescribing WP or Nature Throid or Armor. I mean, that's still by far better than Synthroid because most people, I'd say 80%, can't make that conversion. Now, I would say, though, there's still deeper things that need to be looked at and addressed outside of just giving someone a, a whole thyroid glandular. It's by far better than just giving someone synthetic thyroid hormone, whether it's tyrosine or Synthroid or Lavoxel, it's still far by far better. And, you know, I'm addressing a lot of these key issues in my book that will be coming out later on this year called The Thyroid Reset Ooh, cool. Diet. And I'm going cool. into this stuff. And I also, for anyone listening now that wants to get more info, you can go to fixyourthyroid.com or just my website, justinhealth.com, and click on the thyroid hormone balancing series. I have a whole series that digs deeper into the, kind of the thyroid imbalances from a, a more nerdy level, if they want more info. <laughs> nerdy well,
0: that's level. That's <laughs> so great. So tell us, the name, tell, tell us the name of the book, and when it's coming out. We're going to have to have you back on.
2: Yeah, yeah. It'll be coming out later on this year. I have the rough draft done. I'm actually going through, and I'm creating the recipes. I'm creating easy, because I have so many of my thyroid patients, they're tired, right? They have brain fog. So they need easy recipes. So I'm creating... 30 autoimmune recipes to help reset the thyroid in 30 days and ideally being able to make these things under 30 minutes or less. So 30 days to reset your thyroid with 30 recipes in 30 minutes or less. And we're just talking about the underlying physiology with a lot of my analogies that I give. I like using analogies because if you, if you use analogies, all you have to do is understand the concept and not memorize the facts. I like understanding concepts versus memorizing because you don't ever have to worry about remembering it it's just it's there right and then also getting the diet piece in in a really easy way so you're stabilizing your blood sugar and you're creating an anti-inflammatory environment that allows the gut and the adrenal and the thyroid programs to have a much better effect you know, And again, if have you need mention...
0: somebody to help you no 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 if you need somebody to help you test those out prior to publication <laughs> you know who to call you've got my chat you've got my email I'd love to be on the end of helping you uh, fine-tune those since I'm here in Costa Rica and things are a little difficult down here to heal with your with your gut and food. So just keep it in mind.
2: I will. <laughs> I'm actually looking for some good chefs to help iron some things up. My wife and I were putting together some recipes last night because I just look at it as every dinner I have, this is my my laboratory of how I can make easier autoimmune meals for my thyroid patients. So we experiment every night.
0: Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> That's a cool
1: thing, <laughs> you know. One thing I wanted to mention, also, Doctor J, about your um, about your site, um, is that you have some awesome videos, and and you really, you know, sometimes super smart people have you know trouble connecting with people because they're they're more educated, and it's just more uh, easier for them to understand. So no, one, no, I one thing I understand. love about you, right. and one thing we have loved about today with you, is that you break it down in a way that that an average person can really wrap their head around the concept and, and I love your videos.
2: I appreciate and you use that. Lots of and then,
0: analogies.
2: I appreciate totally. that. And, and what, and one of my mentors about 10 years ago, he told me, he said, you know, Justin, if you, if you really understand a concept well, you should be able to break it down and be able to explain it to anyone, no matter where they're at. So mm. that was kind of my challenge. He's like, if you truly understand it, you should be able to make it bite-sized. So that's kind of my goal was always to be able to connect it and bridge it over to people. Because, my God, if you listen to or listen to someone or read a whole book, but you aren't able to take away those action items, then you're really not applying the knowledge. And if you're not applying the knowledge, you won't be getting better. And I just want to, I want people to be applying things versus memorizing factoids.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Especially people, you know, thyroid people, they have brain fog. It is very difficult. I love Isabella <laughs> Wins' book, but I had to read it in sections, you know. I had to put it down a little bit. So, um, But it's a fantastic book. So your book is going to be called The Thyroid Reset Diet. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's where we're at right now. We're fine-tuning it. And I got a okay. rough draft out, and I'm just getting everything else dialed in. But I want it to be a book that is easy for people to read not, and not as intimidating as others. But people can walk away with simple meal plans and then know what labs to order. And then either they can try some of the simple protocols and or just get a good functional medicine doctor on board who can help them implement it. Mm, that's oh, awesome. That's fantastic.
1: So when is that due out? You said later this year?
2: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, my, my patient load is – in my clinic, I'm booked out about two months. So I just I, – I really – put a lot of my focus on being a clinician versus being an an author and uh, a researcher like other thyroid people out there so my heart is in seeing patients so my patients are holding me up a little bit on it which is fine because that's more rewarding to me but I'm eventually going to get it out uh, this year and I'll have to reach out to you ladies and get some more feedback because I know you have your pulse on what your readers and listeners are wanting and I really want to pick your brains about this more. Absolutely, awesome. we'd love
0: to help any way we can. You know, we're here. We're here absolutely. to support. That's what we're doing.
1: And you do love also it. phone love and uh, Skype consultations, which a lot of people, you know, really love that aren't going to be able to necessarily go to you. So that's that's an awesome service uh, for so many people.
2: I see patients all over the world, so it's really great. We can order blood blood work all in the domestic U.S. for sure, and we order adrenal testing and then a lot of our gut and infection and organic acid testing as well. So we can get so much information uh, about that, and we connect via Skype and phone too, so that's really great.
0: Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, we, we have connected. We connected a long time ago, and um, we've been going back and forth, and I'm so glad to finally get to talk to you live on the air. This, is, this has been fabulous. Thank you so much. Um, Dr. Thank Eddie, you. What a I really, blast.
2: Yeah, and I really appreciate your podcast. I learn a lot. I mean, I try to listen to everyone's stuff so I can, I can expand my palette of, uh, of thyroid knowledge, and you guys really put a great resource out there for patients and even for doctors too.
0: Oh, well, you know, thank and we you. try.
2: <laughs> thank you so much. We try, I and
0: mean, we, you know, we try to make it a little bit different because, um, because we don't have the the you know doctorate and and all the things that you guys do, and so we try to put a different spin on it and put our patients' brain on and uh, sufferer <laughs> brain on sometimes, and so we appreciate when people say that that we're tr- really trying to help. So thank you so much. Thank well,
2: you thank so much. Well, thank you, ladies. Much. I appreciate it. And and, and uh, Dana, we'll be in contact on Facebook too. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, sir. Thank you. Have a fantastic day.
2: Thanks, right, thanks so much for taking Take the care. time. You too. Thank you.
1: Bye. Oh, my gosh. He was amazing. Bye. It's oh. my new favorite. <laughs> I'm serious. I love the way he explained everything. You know, broke did it explain down it. I'd have where, to go
0: back and listen. Yeah,
1: I, totally. This is a, this is a high up so on many my things. list to re listen.
0: Yeah, he explained so many things and, and such layman's you know easy to to understand ways, and I just love that. So I want to go back and listen because there's you know we covered a lot of things. So I want to go back and listen and and make some notes. So. And for great. those
1: that want to find him, you can find him at Justin Health J U S T I N Health dot com, and he has a great site. He's got all kinds of information, blogs and videos and. Uh, podcast himself, which is very cool, or once he's been on. And uh, you can yep. read about the uh, scheduling appointment. I believe he also does a free consultation for new patients. Just very cool. It's a beautiful, uh, very easily navigatable site. So justinhealth.com. Yeah. Very cool. I Just like it. It's very. It's a very health easy, health. easy breezy layout right here, well, you know? Okay.
0: And it's like a play on words, too, right? Just in health and just in health. I love it, right?
1: You know what's funny? Uh-huh. That it took me a few minutes this morning. <laughs> How terrible is that? Right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, that's a total play on words. <laughs>
0: what a dork.
2: <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh.
2: I love to this. We podcast. Thank you,
0: listeners. Thank you, thank you. Um, if you get a chance, please uh, go to iTunes and leave us a review. We really would. I Appreciate that. Um, I know that there's a lot of people think out that there we could do better, doing reviews. You know, yes, and, and give us some, yes. give us some pointers. Absolutely. So, thank you, thank you we for listening. Be... And if you feel so inclined, give us your thoughts.
1: Please, please, please. Also, be sure to check out our new skin and thyroid care line. It doesn't replace your medication, but it's a wonderful supportive care essential oils that can be beneficial with certain symptoms that are known to thyroid patients but definitely does not replace your thyroid medication we want to put a huge emphasis on that dana and i created this line with love and light for all thyroid thrivers um, to provide just a clean synthetic free fabulously simple beneficial skin care so make sure to check it out we have things like brain awake inhaler and Mist me and call me pretty complexion dana made these names i love them And then other just, you know, fun myths for throughout the day, hydrating and attitude adjustments. And um, so make sure to check it out on ThyroidNation.com, and it's under the Essentials, Essential line. Yep. Yep.
0: Shop button. Yep. (laughs) Make sure Uh to follow us on ThyroidNation.com on Facebook. And we have Hashi's group, Hashi's and uh, Graves support group on Facebook, so check that out. And uh, we always put our guests uh, that are going to be in for the week, so you can kind of stay in the know.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And uh, Dana and I always want to remind you that wellness is a journey and takes continual maintenance and evaluation. It's not just a one thing and you're done. Uh, Things throughout your life, even aging itself, are going to change things up. So you always want to make sure that you're listening to your own body and pay attention and be mindful of what's telling you. Because it's a fabulous tool, fabulous resource.
0: Yes, it is. This is Dana, your Thyroid Nation Gringotica from Costa Rica.
1: And Tiffany Milanich of GratefulGarden.biz.
0: Bringing the collective voice of thyroid thrivers worldwide so that together, united we heal. Thanks, guys.
1: Have a fabulous day. Bye.